Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Are you going to speak some Gaelic for us later, Brian? <laughs> if, if only I could. <laughs> we also have Bill Graham. Woo! And a special guest today to talk about The Nightingale, the newest film from writer-director Jennifer Kent. It's Jordane Searles. Hey! Did I get that right? Yeah, you did. You got it. Nice. I listened to the opening of your podcast six times. (laughs) (laughs) But as a general note for the show going forward, I have a crazy fever cold thing going on. So there was a part of me that's like, doesn't matter how much you prepare, you are going to screw this up. (laughs) Oh, it's totally fine. Excellent. I've also done my own podcast drunk a lot of times, and I think it has the same effect. I, uh, we've, we've, we only <laughs> we do like one that. drunk episode a year, and it is the yep. Film Stage Show Awards, and it does not matter at all. And <laughs> <laughs> after drinking a pint of whiskey, I felt only half as out of it as I do now. But I'm going to power through. I'm not currently on any medication because I was trying to make the decision of like, will the medication make things easier or will I just start speaking in tongues? And so I've decided to just <laughs> roll through. And then after we're done recording, going to down a half bottle of NyQuil, going to crawl in bed. Everything's going to be good. It sounds great. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Uh, so Jordan, <laughs> as a means of introducing yourself to the listeners at home, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and uh, what you uh, what you do around the internets? Uh, do a couple things around the internet. I write about film and television for Bitch Media, Thrillist, Vulture, a bunch of different places. Um, I also do a weekly podcast called Bad Romance, where we talk about one bad romantic movie a week. We just like passed our 100 episode mark, so hmm. it's full insanity. <laughs> <laughs> Our one hundredth episode was Shallow Hal, and it was a pretty. Oh man! <laughs> so yeah, we we scarred our guest, which is what we always want to do. I and, believe uh, it. Yeah, we strive for that here too. <laughs> uh, I also do stand-up comedy. I don't put a lot of it online because I'm just not. I'm not a professional person, I guess, but I do that. Um, and yeah, I, I do the tweets. (laughs) You do the tweets. I have a question. Yeah, the tweets. As someone who has a podcast about bad romantic comedies, have you ever heard of the 2002 movie, The Third Wheel? Yes, I have. I have never seen it, but I have heard of it. (laughs) I have seen it. I don't remember how or why, but I remember sitting there and watching the whole damn thing and just being like, the director of this must have real bad stuff on everyone involved in this movie because <laughs> it is luke wilson denise richards ben affleck i think uh matt damon matt is in damon. there somewhere too it's holy shit like it's crazy yeah that's uh that's a, that's a good cast list oh thank you i'm we're totally gonna do that one because i forgot about it <laughs> please do please Wait, dear who God, is do. the homeless person who is hit with a car 
Wait, please what? tell me it's Matt Damon. Okay, no, the I log think... line for this on Rotten Tomato or on uh, IMDb is a man accidentally hits a homeless person with his car and then can't seem to get rid of him for the rest of the yeah, night. Yeah, so so Luke Wilson <laughs> wants to ask out uh, the the girl. Oh Denise God, Richards. I'm so sick. Denise Richards. And, <laughs> yeah, of and course he does. On their first date, he hits this homeless guy with his car, and she's like, "We have to help him," and he's like, "All right." And so they just keep him around, and they can't Fantastic. get rid of him. And there's some concept that he might be magical, and he's actually played by the writer of the film. Every every detail of that sounds fantastic. Thank you. You are so welcome. I'm so glad. As soon I as I'm done watching The Godfather tonight, I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch that. <laughs> I am so glad that I could gift this to you. Good double feature with The Godfather. <laughs> You might you might be the only person who's ever come on this show who's actually benefited in any small way from it. It's just me introducing you to this terrible movie. It's amazing. <sighs> we we work miracles here at the Film Today Show. Right. I, I assume you've already done Happy Thank You More Please. No, I haven't, but I have I have seen it and I have seen liberal <laughs> arts. Um which liberal arts is worse. Wait, is that the Jay Radner one? Yeah, they're yes. both his. Oh yeah. no! Oh, I, I, I think I've seen liberal arts and I kind of like it. <laughs> oh, no. oh no! I saw liberal arts and I felt like I wanted to like it because I like Jay Radner as a presence, but I was deeply concerned about that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone should be on a watch list for that one, just for how bad it is, not the general content. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, that's it's great to have you here. Can't wait to hear your podcast on the third wheel. That's gonna be that's gonna oh, be yeah, awesome. It, it's coming. I'm so excited now. Um, it gives me a reason to survive whatever illness I have presently. Really, you don't know what it is. That's it's like a cold or a flu or a fever or some sort of viral infection. Hey, welcome to my life where uh, people don't know what the fuck you have. It's I just, fun. if I'm not sick for four days in a row, I don't go to the doctor. Yep, I agree with that. Yeah, so this is day three. So if I wake up and I'm not markedly better tomorrow, then it's uh, it's doctor time, baby. Yep. <laughs> but I'm doing better I, than I, I was that. yesterday. So I think I'm I'm like rolling down the, the steep edge of the roller coaster, about to pull back into the carousel. I'm very anyway. excited to hear about men going to the doctor. That's <laughs> <laughs> what people are here for it's the, the small glimpses of human life that really i don't know anyway we are brought to you by the fine people who give to our patreon patreon.com slash the film stage show go there to access our slack channel to get super cool raffle stuff and of course to help us put this on we're also brought to you by movie the film streaming site where every day their curators give you a brand new film to check out and uh you have 30 days to watch so it's a constantly rotating selection of 30 films. Uh, we talked last week about the fact that uh, Cassie Lemon's Eve's Bayou is now on there. Oh, I love that movie. Yes. I'm dying to see that one. Dying to see it. Cannot wait. Gonna wait till I'm not sick anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and um, also, oh, yeah. again, just super excited about Harriet coming out. Yeah, yeah. I am too. I kind of like there the scene where um janelle monet's character is like teaching harriet how to shoot a gun i kind of wanted <laughs> want some gay shit some gay shit would be great i mean that i mean that alone is gay shit but like this is, more 
This is the second week in a row that we've brought up the movie Harriet, and you are the second person to immediately say, oh man, that scene where she learns to shoot the gun. The, the, the trailer scene that has launched a thousand gifts, I assume. Yeah. Um, so if you're excited about Harriet and, uh, you know, Janelle Monet teaching Harriet how to shoot a gun, you can check out Eve's Bayou now on Mubi. Uh, for your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage and uh yeah you can check out the wonder that is mubi again that is mubi.com slash filmstage and now we are ready to talk about our feature presentation that is again the nightingale a newest film from writer director jennifer kent who previously did the babadook the babadook however you please and uh, ah, this <laughs> mother of God, <laughs> I uh, I have that pop up book. I am just waiting for my daughter to get old enough that I can spring it on her and ruin her life forever. <laughs> um, what age is that? I don't know, like five. <laughs> five. Five is a good age to scar your kid. My mom oh, showed geez. me Gremlins when I was five, and it ruined my life. <laughs> now, if you have a dog, you can't feed it after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yes, this movie out in uh, limited-ish release right now is about a young woman in 1825 Tasmania who, after a scarring incident, decides to track down the man who has wronged her. Uh, This movie came with a disclaimer from the studio asking not to full-on reveal what happens to her, so we're going to save that for the spoilers. And uh, yeah, there's uh, apparently some other stuff that the uh, studio sent out when they sent out this movie. So we will have to talk about all of that. But before then, here is the trailer. It's kind of weird because I don't know if you know something, if you know two things about this movie, you probably know the thing that we shouldn't reveal. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little strange, but you know, we'll do our best. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Here is the trailer. For me. I wish I were on yonder hill. We don't want no trouble. That's just the way, isn't it? You don't want trouble, but sometimes trouble wants you. Just there I'd sit and cry my fill. Get me to the soldiers that came by this morning. It's too dangerous. Up north, they kill us. Sure you want to follow him? All right. So that is the first part of the trailer for The Nightingale. Again, the newest film from writer-director Jennifer Kent. Let us talk about it. We will, of course, begin with our spoiler-free thoughts, and we will start with our guest, Jordan. What did you think of The Nightingale? Well, I love this movie, and I have seen it twice now at this point. And I also went to a Q&A at BAM where I met Jennifer Kent and Ooh, was gosh. very, very weird and clingy around her. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. Uh, no, I, this, is a, this is a great film. It's one of the few films I feel like that's really honest about colonialism and also really honest about trauma and how it affects people. And also, I feel that it points out the parts like in war and conquering because I mean, they're not it's not really a war. They're just trying to seize the land, but they keep calling it a war for some reason. Um, Just like how women are treated, you know, while all the men are doing whatever 
how the women kind of get used as just like items for rage or items to be discarded and kind of get like passed around. I think that it's really honest about that in a way that's usually in the background of movies about dudes doing shit. So (laughs) (laughs) that is what were your feelings about Babadook, Jordan? Oh, I loved it. It's, it's one of my favorites. I haven't seen it in a bit. I was actually thinking about rewatching it before getting on this podcast, but I haven't, but I loved it a lot. I thought it was great. It's like a really, really good recent horror movie. And one of those that like, I don't think is overrated. Like some of the other recent horror movies (laughs) that I feel like are getting too much. Um, But anyway, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that director's name, even though I kind of want to make fun of him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, now I want you to say it, but I, I'm not going to put you on, on the firing range here. Um, yeah, so I I feel strange about this film because I feel oddly ambivalent about it, which is not a word that uh, I really want to be applied about a movie that's this uh, severe. I, I, for whatever reason... Um, Kent's filmmaking just didn't really connect with me that much here. I, I really like the uh, kind of three uh, main performances and just how they're outlined in terms of, uh, oh, man, I'm going to have to say her name. I think it's Eiling Franciosi. Does, does anybody know? I mean, you 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 tried your best. <laughs> I'll take the participation trophy. It sounds good. No one here is like good enough to be the one to say that you're wrong. So just just take the win. All right. Well, I I realized that I, um, she's so good that I realized I had seen her in a bunch of the fall, that show with uh, Gillian Anderson and Jamie Dornan. And she plays a very young babysitter in that. So to go from that to this role, uh, she was completely unrecognizable to me, even though I'd seen a lot of her. Um, And uh, Sam Claflin is someone who's kind of been on my radar for a while, you know, even when he um, elevates kind of fun teen soap stuff like Adrift and then uh, Baikali uh, Ganambar who this is somehow his first role which is crazy uh, like these three lead performances I really think are revelatory but I just I felt so cold to this film by a certain point and why is, I, why is that? I, I'm still trying to figure that out I, I think that Um, I think that that mostly needs to be in spoilers, honestly. But what I will say is that I think that it's second half, um, specifically the very end, I think is just uh, too dragged out. I think the pacing's a little bit – I I just – I felt at a certain point that this became – redundant which is the last thing you want about something that's about numbing violence so i'm still kind of working through my feelings about this one but i'm interested to talk about it and for what it's worth like a a lot of questions i had about intention i think jennifer kent has answered really well um you know whether it's in relation to why some characters only exist to be uh 
part of violence or subject to violence to um, this not being a rape. I, I find her uh, her comment that this is not a rape revenge film at all or that she doesn't want it thought of as a revenge film. But like I think she called it love in desperate times in a vulture interview. And I, I find that perspective and how deeply she's thought about these things really fascinating. I just wish I was personally – uh, had a more personal connection to the film. So, yeah. All right. Bill Graham. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I've, I've enjoyed Jennifer Kent's output ever since I saw the Babadook. I thought that was a very powerful and rich kind of emotional look at, at grief and, and all of that, that had, um, that it dealt with. And this one was, this one you can tell it's by a gaze by a a a vision from someone that isn't of the male gender right um it, this one just has a a different measure a different tone to it um than a lot of these films that we've seen because this is not a unfamiliar story that that it kind of ends up going down um maybe some of the peripheral details are a little bit different but for the most part you know we've seen this kind of i guess i'll say a team up film um and i just don't think we've seen it in this regard um recently or or that i'm aware of uh all that often so i really enjoyed the kind of twist on on the ideas that it's kind of playing with um but yeah i think the performances are, sh- are strong um i think you know the bad guys are are real shitty and uh that's that's kind of what you want um and you know it's funny because sam claflin is one of those guys that i think he was in the hunger games playing a very very pretty man and in this one he he again plays a very pretty man that is not a not a pretty soul and so so moony in this (laughs) yeah um, so yeah, it's, I, I really enjoyed, uh, the kind of tweak that, that this one has. Um, it is not an easy watch at, at any point. Um, it definitely goes there, um, beyond even like what I was expecting or what I was thinking I was, I was getting myself into. And I was surprised by that. So, um, you know, hold on, but, uh, it's, it's definitely something to watch. And I think, you know, it, it's hard to recommend a film like this just because it is so so just just diabolical and at, at times. But um, yeah, I, I would still definitely recommend it um, just the same. Hmm. It's really interesting because um, I think I'm one of the few people where the movie wasn't hard for me to watch, and I don't know what that means about me. <laughs> uh, I. It didn't, I don't know. I think maybe it's also because I have, I had the good fortune of being at the Q and a and actually talking to Jennifer, but even before I spoke to her, it was kind of like a movie about the ways in which like, you know, causes you to act like this, of course, like, like for example, Claire 
has these feelings towards Billy that he's like inferior, but she's treated as inferior by the English. So it's Mm -hmm. like, why does she hate him? And it's because that hate is taught to her. Like it's a hate that she's taught to have, even Uh though it does her no good. I think that in, in some way it may do her good because at least she is not the person on the lowest end of the totem pole. It's like the small bit of power that she can take back given what's been done to her. Right. But I mean, ultimately it's power, like the power over Billy. She doesn't really want it, Mm -hmm. which I think is what kind of sets her apart. It kind of makes me think of like the most interesting character to me. Well, the most interesting now that I've watched it a couple times is the little kid that's with Uh the soldiers when they're traveling. Yeah. Eddie. Cause I think that Eddie's like a great example of kind of like, what you kind of have to go through to end up as someone like Hawkins, Sam, Sam Claflin's character. It's like, are you going to choose to be a brutal person? Or are you going to choose not to be? And he ultimately chooses not to, and that doesn't work for him. <laughs> so it's like, as a matter of like survival, mm-hmm. it's like, it's kind of like these men are forced to be this way. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that, and I think that the movie is kind of like looking into that because you don't the men don't don't just like do terrible things. They do terrible things and they kind of brood about it, but they do it in different ways. Like um, Hawkins is like trying very hard not to brood, which I think like a lot of his behavior is trying to like avoid these like residual feelings that he has about what he did. Whereas like there's that other soldier who feels really bad about what he did. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't go well for him. And then there's the one, which is also the guy who plays Banson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's that soldier. Who oh, just yeah. Doesn't fuck. <laughs> Dewey. Yeah. I, Dewey Crow. I, I find him to be the most evil character just because he doesn't think at all. Like Hawkins, <laughs> I feel like he knows what he does. He knows what he's doing is wrong. But like it's a means to an end to him so he justifies it which i don't know what that other guy is doing (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) hawkins has a kind of intellect to his cruelty and like clearly it only compounds his later cruelties but like clearly struggles with it but uh, Roos, who is played by damon harriman who is dewey crow and is now twice over charlie manson um yeah he's he's like an idiot kid he's just he just wants to have fun and and do stuff and doesn't want to think about anything and um, he becomes a much easier character to hate than Hawkins, which is weird because Hawkins gets the most scowling and like the cruelest lines. But there's something thoughtless about Roos that just feels worse. Well, I'll just I'll just go and say that my general thoughts on this movie are it's amazing. It's really it's it's something it's I mean, it's it's aesthetically quite beautiful or at least intriguing the kind of damp mossiness of everything the fact that you can oh i love the gothic look of it oh it's it's spookily beautiful it's it's just great especially because you know this is in tasmania which is part of the australian territories and you know this is all falling under that but like usually in australian movies it's all desert so it's interesting to see this terrain brought forward um the performances are all astounding um ashling franciosi 
uh, Sam Claflin, uh, by Kali Ganambar. I mean, they're just, they're just all to a, to a person, just astounding and really help to sell you on everything that's going on and to draw you in. I'm with you, Jordan. I did not find this hard to watch, which, um, surprised me <laughs> as the father of a young girl. I was assuming that this would be a very difficult film for me to get through. But I think that the aesthetic touches and the kind of editing and the choices that Jennifer Kent made made it very easy for me to get through, which um, I think goes to show her like p- power as a filmmaker. It was um, It was almost strange to see the things that were happening and how it wasn't that difficult for me to keep going. It didn't feel exploitative. It didn't feel like the movie was pleased with itself. The movie had a kind of empathetic overlay that made it possible for me to feel the sadness of the filmmaker, which in watching it helps to kind of usher you forward because you know that the filmmaker is using the proper amount of like restraint and respect for the material, which, you know, something like a torture porn movie doesn't quite do. And that makes those difficult to watch. I love that description. Yes, I totally agree. Also, um, you know, there were, I remember before I saw it, people kept on saying, oh, it's trauma porn, it's trauma porn. And then I came in and like, as a person with PTSD, I was like very guarded, but I felt it to be very like empathetic to trauma and like, especially in the ways that they depict it, like, there are certain things happen where you could see there are directors that would show you like lurid details, but the Nightingale doesn't do that. It focuses on the faces. And I actually think that's what makes it kind of hard for people to watch because they have to look at a person in pain straight into their face, as opposed to kind of like the obscured way that it's often shown. Yeah, exactly. And I find that, kind of empathetic filmmaking a lot easier to handle than to be shown something garish and beautiful in Grand Guignol and then have to I guess kind of wait for the moment that they find you're like oh also like this really hurt that person and this is why and I think the fact that a lot of these people struggle to reach a point where they can let their sadness be expressed fully also makes it a little easier to go through because they feel less raw and then when those moments finally come they feel earned and they feel like a kind of catharsis rather than again just a filmmaker who's really excited about showing some expressive you know psychological and emotional damage that they've caused i also think that the racial elements are done very well Mm -hmm. um because Mm -hmm. i (laughs) i'm sorry did someone cough are you okay no no i said uh uh-huh uh-huh. Okay. Um, because when I first watched it, I was like, okay, well, why does Billy stay with her the entire time when she's so terrible to him at the beginning? And then I realized that there's like a really basic answer to that. And it's that she's a woman and he doesn't want to leave a woman alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of like overrides the fact that she's a white woman. And I think he also knows that she doesn't know what she's talking about. And kind of has like a lot of patience with her with that, which 
I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I think that bothers people sometimes that he has the patience. But I mean, no one else in the movie does. Someone has to. Yeah, I no, think. She, I mean, <laughs> she she I uh, can't really say what it is, but like she goes to people looking for help with evidence and is sure. greeted with bureaucratic coldness. But she goes to Billy just screaming and offering money and he goes with her because I think he can sense something else going on. And it's telling that the moments when he's willing to walk away are the moments when she's at her cruelest and then when he stays is when sure. she like appeals to him on a human level. There's that great scene, for instance, where uh, where uh, Billy seems to disappear for a short amount of time and they come upon uh, some prisoners who are shackled up as well as these two overseers who are like, where are your papers? And, and you know, like she gets through that situation, but right after Billy kind of comes back out of the trees and there's a great I, – I think that they find an, a really nice balance as, as Jordan was kind of saying about like – when he would stay and when he would leave like it doesn't it's not like it's not wild to me that he would endure some of these things you know beyond uh you know the point of where he's paid like uh, that bond changes even before i'd say like the first big campfire moment you know Mm -hmm. like i and i think that stuff is what keeps this from being like, I, I want to be clear, as much as this film, like, didn't necessarily work for me, I, I think that this could have had the possibility to become a green book. <laughs> I think this had the possibility Jesus. to be something that is very much about defining either uh, racism or feminism, or, or excuse me, or racism specifically through the lens of someone learning. And it doesn't necessarily, it feels like they're both teaching each other and are very equal handed in a way and i think that is like this is the right way to do something like that which i I find really impressive the more that i think about this movie and i think that having her be irish helps in that way because she is kind of not to the extent that billy is obviously but racially denigrated by the colonizing force and so it it gives a kind of extra strata to everything because he looks at her and he sees, you know, another white woman, but she knows that according to the English, she's not white. And sure. it's, it's this whole other thing. So like this movie really hates British people. <laughs> I think that I mean, most, rightfully so most movies don't hate the British enough. I mean, if I'm being well, completely you honest know, with you, <laughs> as a Jamaican American, I like it's, in my like in my bones to hate the british honestly <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah i i often think that like you know when you see a movie like this you're like i guess like the seed of sin in most of the world is the fact that everyone had the misfortune of being colonized by the british like, yeah i mean you know it's like you know black british people are fine but the white ones eh, i don't know not the best i don't have a lot of forgiveness yet <laughs> It's like every time, like, especially Australia, like, it feels like, you know, uh, the proposition and then, um, what, Wake and Fright are all just about how, like, the worst British people went to Australia and they just continued to be that way. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because well, setting it setting up Australia as a penal colony, it just means that oh, we're just going to put all of our convicts down here. Not that there's anything wrong with you know getting arrested. Some of these people, like I'm pretty sure Eddie and Claire, probably just like stole some bread or something. Like I'm sure that they didn't really do anything wrong. But there's this idea that like setting it up as a place for criminals to go and then treating the criminals like shit so that they don't feel the need to become better. Of course, once they get out or or released, like they're not going to be any better because they weren't taught to be better. And they were actually taught that being shitty actually works out. She, she (laughs) serves her time and is just like, okay, can I have my letter now? And he's like, no, I think you're pretty. So you're staying. I mean, He's irritated that she would even, like, ask multiple times. Well, I think he's, like, upset that she fell in love with another Irish person, which is weird because, like, I don't believe that he wanted to, like, be in love with her, but he seemed, like, very mad that, like, she just, like, created an own life for herself. Like, how dare she? (laughs) Yeah, he wanted her to be, like, a pet, and she was like, no, I am, in fact, a human being. I don't have a husband and a child. (laughs) He was only like supposed to, to be there one year, right? And then it got extended to three years. So, like, I, I think that the the fact that they bring up, like, his own – again, I don't want to give too much sympathy to Sam Claflin's character here. Hawkins is a, is a piece of shit for reasons we can delve into. But, like, I, I think that, again, another smart touch is making – these characters like into more than you know only you know sociopaths <laughs> that doesn't yeah. mean that they don't they don't have those tendencies but they you know they also very much have their motivations and they have inferiority complexes and have pride that they're dealing with right he's not I, the british dude from the patriot who's just sure what's it jason isaacs who's just evil for no reason like clearly he's got some issues and Again, I don't know how true this is to history, but it feels very true because, again, the proposition in this movie, it seems like you didn't just send criminals to Australia. You also sent, like, the worst people in the army. Sure. Yeah. And that's just... Yeah, and like, just like basically sent them down there and was just like, oh, the only real directive that they have is to get rid of the black people. Yeah. Like, I feel like yeah. that's the only order that they were given. And this is like... Uh, it's it's very weird like whenever anyone in the movie is like we're at war i'm just like i love how you can just call something a war and then people will believe you yeah (laughs) they also they say in this movie and in the proposition like that they are civilizing this land yeah that's their term and it really seems like the one thing that they have to do to civilize it is to eradicate the aboriginal population or at least the men yeah specifically yeah, that, should we get into spoilers though, guys? I feel like we're tiptoeing around. <laughs> I feel like we've we've dipped our toes in. A we've we've yeah. gotten so far without mentioning any spoilers. It's great. I know but, it's pretty good. Yeah, but yes, I, I feel I it think... is time for spoilers. So uh, let's uh, let's do it. We're gonna spoil plot points for the Nightingale starting now. We should wait. I just think we should also do a brief bit of context. Uh, we mentioned it before. Um, this has had kind of some strange festival showings like it, it's understandably divisive um but like 
I, I think we should say what happens, but I think it's worth mentioning that what happened at Venice and things like that right after we talk about what this is, you know, about. <laughs> okay. Well, so just to, to get the big one out of the way, the thing that we have been tiptoeing around is that three British officers, um, or I guess an ensign and two officers, sergeant, technically an officer, doesn't matter, unimportant, um, go to her house that she keeps with her husband and her like infant daughter. And she has already at this point been raped once, and then she is raped again, and then her husband is killed, and her baby is also killed. Raped on screen. She's been raped a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, in addition to that, we also get many images in this movie and many actions in this movie that are just nakedly racist and violent against the indigenous population. Yeah. And Luana. Luana, the Aboriginal woman, is yeah. also raped. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I. Wait. Should I talk about the festival thing, or do you guys? Did you guys hear about this? I, I'm just wondering if I'm. The, I, I heard about what happened at Venice. Yeah. So if well, you want to describe it. No, I. I just wanted to mention that there were a lot of people who have talked about. I've just heard this movie described a lot in terms of people walking out. Like in the same way people have talked about, you know, something like irreversible, which is this is not the same treatment whatsoever. It's something like irreversible. People, I, I, my, I'm like, I have an, a, a, a piece in the process that I'm still working on. And a lot of my piece is just explaining that, like, the way that people react to rape is like a very complex thing. And I think that the way that people react to the rape in this movie is uh, like the walkouts really upset me because when you think Mm. about it, you don't really, you don't see anything. You don't Mm -hmm. see any sexual parts. You know, it's like, it's, it's it's just faces. And it's like, so when people like, like get really like compare it to stuff like irreversible or like anything else with rape, it's like, no, it's, it's not because it's about how they feel. It's not about the like I don't aside from I think Luana's boob, there's like almost no nudity in it. And Luana and that's yep. most just yep. like a factor of that's the way that Luana dresses with her tr- with her like group, her Right, uh-huh. that's not like a sexualized group. image. Right, exactly. So yeah. it's 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 I mean maybe it's just because and um Maybe it's just because, like, as a person who, like, has been assaulted, I personally didn't feel. And I mean, of course, like, people that have been assaulted don't feel the same way. But I, like, it just kind of made me feel closer to the film. Like, it just didn't, it didn't make me want to turn away. It made me, like, this is something that I understand. And this is something that the film respects. And I felt like there that that respect is carried all the way through. And also that her um, that Claire's PTSD is like really understandable and, you know, really works for her. And also, I love the way that like because basically, you know, after it happens, she's very, very mad and she wants to kill. And then she finally does kill someone and then she doesn't want to kill people anymore. Yeah. Like, that's just like, a, that's like a point in like her grief of like, you know, for her body for losing that control. And then once she moves on to the next part of that grief. 
Right. She realizes that the killing isn't going to make anything better. And then what, what somehow does make things better is just being able to, to tell everyone in this room, everything that this man has done and to kind of take him to task for it and then walk out under her own power. Right. Cause I mean, like, and I mean, people, survivors have said this a bunch of times and of course I've said it too. And like, I don't know, weird emotional tweets where I immediately mute the conversation. Um, most like sexual assault survivors just want recognition that it happened and that people can accept that it happens, which is why like rape revenge movies tend to not do much for me because this idea of just like killing a bunch of people, it's like that emotional leap has never made sense to me. I just feel like it's some weird thing that men made up. I just don't, (laughs) I never got it. I think it's a very like masculine idea of like justice. But again, that's yeah. that's true because I think that men then put that onto female characters in movies that they create. Right, and like sometimes these kinds of things can be cathartic. Like the bride um, in in Kill Bill, you know that her journey is very cathartic. But it's also just that like it's not really about specifically what happened to the bride. It's about how she remembers it and how it made her feel. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. So I mean, in this sense, like. Like she just Claire just wants to be treated like a human being. And it's like a very basic want. And I don't and I think that it's incredibly relatable and it makes it like easier to watch for me. Like I was actually really glad that she wasn't just murdering people. I didn't want that to be the story because that's so boring to me. (laughs) Right. And I also just I mean, there's there's a part of me that would be totally down to watch you know, an Irish woman kill a bunch of English people in Tasmania. But like the the way that the movie goes about telling its story almost immediately purged that desire from me. Because again, I think there's a very good control of tone and story and aesthetic in this film so that everything that's happening feels right. And so you don't ever feel as though you are, well, you know, Michael, maybe I don't, I don't know how you felt about it, but like, I never felt as though I was being shortchanged anything or seeing something that wasn't organic to the story. It wasn't necessarily that I wanted, I, I didn't want bloodlust. I, I mean, I, I will say that there are some rape revenge films that I do think work, but like to get a better sense of, so like an odd personal conflict I had was I was wondering why I felt so numb to this. And I, I think it's, it's partly, you know, I do like a lot of individual aesthetics that we're talking about. I, I like this idea that, you know, the retribution comes as a conversation. I, I like the idea that the first time she sees Hawkins, she's paralyzed when she has a gun trained on him, you know, at the top of that hill, um, and she has the chance to shoot him and she she can't do it. Like I, I think that those moments are fascinating. I think it's just there's something about the necessity to have that rape almost happen or happen in real time and having and lingering on it in the way that it does that at a certain point I just feel like – even if it's never gratuitous because it's still so aesthetically controlled as you guys are talking about, there's still something uh, again, numbing and leaves me cold in a way that some other things like, you know, like, uh, uh, like I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be probing, but 
No, please. How do you want it to make you feel? Like, I'm just... Because, like, I'm not... Fair like, question. when I... <laughs> When I watch the scenes themselves, like a, like I'm not like weeping or anything. And so I'm just trying to understand this numbness because this is just that you sure. expect to feel this wave of emotion. Well, I think, okay, the, the one that I was thinking about a decent amount, even though it's a very different context, is The Tale from last year, a, a film I, I really loved, which is about, uh, I sexual... love the tale. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to talk down. I didn't know if you had heard of it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that is, that um, is a fantastic movie, but yeah. so the tale is a film that I really loved. And I think it's, it, it, it is about violation as well. It's obviously about realizing violation later on, but that was a film that I think the, the rape scenes in that, were moving to me and I felt added to my overall the, the emotional experience I had with those people in a way that this didn't at a certain point. And what, what's strange is, is especially since I was doing a lot of reading after finally watching it last night is I, I think that Jennifer Kent especially like, like heads off a lot of things that I potentially have like, rhetorically wrong with this for instance the idea of like I, I was definitely wondering why is she the one telling the story of the aboriginal people and it sounds like she had her own difficulty with that and she walked away from the film for a short time before and but then talked to an aboriginal elder and decided that you know this story can be told respectfully just as much i thought i i didn't understand until uh an interview with uh Devika or with uh, Jennifer Ken and Devika Garish and film comment about Loanna's uh, purpose. I, I just didn't understand why that needed to be the, in the film and kind of lard it down for me. So I, so I, this doesn't totally answer your question. Sorry, Charlie. Uh, this happens no, with Michael no. all the time. No, I understand. Um, I will say though, that I actually really liked that Loana was in it. I felt like, because I feel like in a lot of movies um, like that talk about, you know, sexual assault and it's either sexual assault or racism. It's never usually both. And sure. I noticed that in a lot of like movies made by white women, yeah. the only kind of suffering or the only kind of like sexual violence is like it's like in it like it's put onto these white women and there's this idea that there are black men and there are white women and i actually feel like i was kind of worried that it was going to be that way cuz that's something that really irritates me cuz it kind of like sure. erases black women from the narrative so having luana be there and and also like she's i don't feel like she's just there to be raped i also feel like she's there to really signify that these people showed up on this land and do not speak the language like all their communications with luana aren't communications because they don't know what she's saying and they don't care yeah um which i I just think that that was really useful to keep in because, you know, the other, because Luan is one of the few Aboriginal characters that you see that, you know, can't speak English. Like she just doesn't, <laughs> she has no understanding of it. And why should she, where did these people come from? This is her land. Um, 
And I also liked this idea that like, I, I kind of try to explain it in my piece, but I don't, I don't know if it's going to ever make it through editing. Who knows? Um, this idea that like in war times, like, or in these like brutal conflicts, men die, women get raped. And there's this idea also mm. that the children are just like in the way, like this movie does not give a shit about children right. at all. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, you they can't just kill a woman. They have to they have to do something to her first. They can't just kill them for. And I think that that's a that that's something that's true, and that yeah. we can trace all through history. And I don't know. I would have felt weird if we just if the only like black people that we saw in the movie were just men because luana is also the only black woman that we see she's the only one mm-hmm. hmm. yeah no that's a that's a totally fair point and yeah she she in the interview actually said like she says quote i thought it was important that people see these people are not just natives running around the bush and throwing spears but they're humans that lost their children that were just abused and then discarded and it's a really tough thing to watch, but it's necessary for this story. And I think, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't disagree again, like conceptually. I, it's just, it's something about the the rhythms about this that just uh, didn't didn't work for me. And, and I Did, think, oh, no, please go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I keep feel like I keep interrupting. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> um, did you feel like the movie was too long? I will say that. Um, I understand why it ended the way that it did, but if it had just ended with her going in and talking to Hawkins and then falling out the door, I would have been fine with it ending there. I kind of would have liked the it if uh, it ended where they're both at the campfire. She's holding his hand and he says sleep. Uh, oh, but, wow. But there, but there might be a possibility there that we're losing a little bit too much of the colonialism story, if I'm being totally honest, because I think there is probably a reckoning there that Billy isn't getting. Right, because I mean, the the reason why the ending is so long is because sure. it leaves room for Billy yeah. to do what he has to do. And if that wasn't in there, it probably would, would have been shorter. Um. Right, like if but, Billy was yeah. like, I too have released my anger and we can now go live in the bush and be happy. <laughs> I am going to be a, a Bill in this situation and say that I, our, our lovely Bill here, he doesn't like when movies are generally over two hours. I, mm-hmm. I would love if this was 150. <laughs> I, I think 216 is, is way too long. <laughs> Michael's gonna do his fan edit I, of the I, I, actually, I actually like the length of this. <laughs> Bill's thing isn't so much that he doesn't like a movie over two hours. He believes that each minute after two hours has to be earned very, very hard. Yes, That's, up that against the wall. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> you, you basically start dragging me across glass. Which, I'm which sorry, Bill. <laughs> like I, I just want to. Be clear, and I appreciate Brian's uh, clarity on that. That I am not against two-hour movies. I've I've even had like three-hour movies yes, in yes. my top five at the end of the year. Burning, and, yeah, I know. Yeah, burning, but they just have to. They really have to be that much better. 
Yes, they gotta earn. Oh God, burning was way too long for me. But then, I, but then again, like also, my fiance disagreed. He was like, "Wow, that seems really short." And I just, just why? <laughs> really short is not how I would ever describe that movie. But uh, yeah, okay. I right. think that both Burning and The Nightingale moved. Mm-hmm. See, know. I don't think this one moves, and I'll say I didn't like Burning on the first watch. So. I maybe I just need another watch and then we could do another podcast. <laughs> but it's no, really how we should do this is like we watch the movie, we do a podcast, then six months later we watch the same movie, <laughs> review it again. It was like the whole movie takes place within like three days. So I guess it just doesn't I don't know. It just doesn't feel long to me <laughs> at all. Like and I also um I mean I mean, of course, if it was shorter, we'd miss the ending with the sun, which like I in the Q&A, Jennifer was like, yeah, we were trying to avoid the sun until like the last possible minute. <laughs> it's always There's daytime, a lot never of moon sunny. shots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, no, I'd love to hear the rest of you. I feel like I'm taking this over because I'm the only one who's a little ambivalent but i'd love to hear more of you guys talking i'm talking well, too I'll, much just, I'll just say that like i i found the ending and the uh the violence that billy visits upon the two remaining uh british officers to to really be an out uh what's the word i'm looking for like an outcropping like an out a growth from his um his moment in the house where they're picked up by an old man who this is my country <laughs> right and i what i love I- about what i love about that moment is that like i'm watching it and i'm like oh look at this guy like you know mean to his wife but you know who knows what their dynamic is he's not like hitting her and he's kind of um the only person who's been understanding of of uh claire's whole thing takes her in helps her out and then tells billy to sit at his table and i had this moment of like this guy, this guy's like the hope for the future, which is weird because he's extremely mm-hmm. old. But also, like, he's just a kind, hospitable guy who's like, you're in my home. You're going to sit at my table. And then Billy breaks down crying and he's just like, this is my country. And uh, it's like a it's like a whole thing where my brain had to be like, oh, right. This guy is still a dude who came to this man's country, stole it from <laughs> him and is now just being nice to him. And like. Yeah. Maybe this old man had no part in the violence, but just his very being there and being able to exert that kind of power over this like two by two house of his is a symptom of the wider trouble that Billy is going through, especially now that he knows that his like whole people have been wiped out. And like, that's a really dark, meaningful scene where it's like, you're just, you, you feel I guess, you know, in in my place as like a white man, like, isn't it good to think that I might have been that guy? But also, like, <laughs> I shouldn't have fucking been there in the first place. Now, should I have? No. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, mean, yep. I, I, I liked the old man. Like, he wasn't like a he wasn't like a Kevin Costner in Hidden Figures where I wanted him to die. Hey, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kevin Costner in Hidden Figures. Really one of the worst scenes I've ever seen. <laughs> um, Going but, um, for it. Kevin Costner just feels, I don't know. I feel like he thinks that he, I feel like he hangs out in the hood sometimes. <laughs> and he just thinks that like down. And he's been thinking that since the nineties. And I, I, 
personally i hate it um (laughs) but no i love yeah this old man is great it's also funny because i remember uh somebody asked about that scene and jennifer kent was like well you know his wife is a bit of a bitch but like (laughs) (laughs) so she wrote him so she kind of she kind of apparently wrote that wife to be terrible um right the wife is clearly the the worst of the two but you know you you don't have to shout at her buddy like you know (laughs) that's true you don't but he had kind of a this is the thing though so I I I grew up with a family of like Irish and Italian New Yorkers. And so I don't know how to act with the rest of the world because I sometimes like if I have a friend or something, I think it's okay to threaten physical violence against them if it's clear that I'm never going to do that. So like I'll be talking to a friend of mine and he will disagree with me on a movie. I'll be like, "Yeah, I ought to pop you in the mouth for that." Like, "Shut up. That's that's the most ridiculous thing ever." And he will just be like, dude too far and i'm like i'm not actually gonna hit you so there's a part of me that's like i wonder if this man and his wife have that same rapport but like i shouldn't be looking for that in any way like this guy he's it doesn't matter what his wife is like even if they have that like in front of guests maybe he should chill out (laughs) (laughs) i'm now more afraid to meet you in person (laughs) i have had to (laughs) i have had to really trim back some of my queens in recent years, you know. <laughs> oh, I I live in Queens currently. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, I I wanted to point out because I and I couldn't figure out an organic way to do this, but um, the Q and A that I went to also had um, the actor Bikali, and he is he is super super cool by the way he's great but he talked about how doing the movie was like very important to him like to represent his culture and that he considered it an honor to be in the film and that he felt like and actually when you kind of meet him like it's a very naturalistic performance to where like the guy that he is in the movie and the guy that he is in real life it's like you can tell that it's like the same spirit of person. And he also um, he's known mostly as a dancer. He actually does like Aboriginal dance and he teaches it to k- children. He's like a one of those guys. It's like, oh, yeah, I teach to children. And I also like um, like he's like a really big part of his community. He also has YouTube videos where he teaches his dances. I do. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. He's he's so cool. And he basically so he was known as a dancer. And then he basically said, you know, acting, it's it can't be that different from dancing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And oh, yeah. And he was. But the way that he talks about the movie, um, he just talks about how like in terms of like Australian film, Australian culture, it like leaves the aboriginal people out so much and like cast them to the side that he was like he just kept on talking about how honored he was and how this was a great opportunity and he also talked about um the killing that he does in the end he said that that was like kind of like a tribal rule he was just like either you get exa if you're if you're a bad person how did he explain it he was like if you're a bad person you we talk to you we get the elder to talk to you and if you continue to be bad you are exiled or you know you have to stand still while people throw spears at you (laughs) and that was just like 
so by the so like what he does in the end is like culturally what they would do like he okay yeah he's because it was just like (laughs) yeah he was just like yeah these people they they rape women you know that that's bad oh you tried to talk to him and he still is cool with raping women okay well it's time to die then (laughs) (laughs) it's a good way to put it yeah (laughs) it's interesting (laughs) no it is interesting and now i'm rethinking this And that's one of the things that I like about this movie and one of the reasons why I rate it so highly is that like it does feel as though it is very empathetically and deeply felt from all angles. It doesn't feel like anything's being used just for set dressing. It feels like there's a very real thought process behind everything that's going on. And um, I think that what happens to Eddie, the, the young boy who's with this traveling group, speaks a lot to that too. Because you see this kid... And, you know, this this guy Hawkins is basically teaching him how to be as big of an asshole as he is. And Eddie doesn't pull the trigger. And so in a usual movie, this would be like, oh, Eddie's been saved. Like, humanity's fine. Or, you know, two scenes from now, Eddie's not going to have trouble pulling the trigger. Sure. Instead, Eddie is is just trying to get Hawkins to understand that he has learned his lesson. And Hawkins turns around and shoots him. I'll shoot the next one. I promise. I, I think yeah. that's what he says. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he says. Oh and my God. Him, sh- him shooting that kid. Just like, wow. <laughs> and he says something along the lines of, I can't stand the fucking noise of it. Yeah. Y- yes. Yeah. I can't stand the noise of it. Like he doesn't like, he finds pain to be annoying. T- like he, he's fine with inflicting pain, but like hearing it reflected back to him, he just can't deal with it. I mean, that goes back to his like his look during the scene where uh, where uh, Yago, you know, kills the child. Like he looks at him like, really, that's how you shut it up. I told you to shut it up, but I didn't want you to, you know, murder it. Like it's 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 such like an annoyance at the situation, which I think is is great, too. And uh, again, I'll say another positive thing. I think this movie's pretty funny sometimes. Especially in terms of Billy. I I think Billy has some great lines. Like, I love how he's just like, oh, this damn white woman. Like, that's that's so much of the tone of of some of the lines he gets. And like Michael likes this movie now. No, I I I like things about it. A laugh riot. Michael Snyder. And that's great. No, I love Billy dragging her. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. It's also just that like there's the scene where she's like still like because you know she had a child, so she still like has the milk and it's of course like causing her which i really liked that the movie pointed that out because in other movies like they just pretend that the milk goes away when the baby goes away it's really strange (laughs) yeah not how it works (laughs) (laughs) but she so she still has it and then he's like oh i have this like medicine that i can make for you and i can do a ritual and she's just like i don't want your stupid you know black shit and like he's just like okay whatever and then she just faints and like rolls down a hill and then she's like oh okay i should accept help now i just like that it's it's a like kind of like a there's a lot of like racial humbling that happens with her that i Mm. enjoyed well also i love her fury at him for him trying to continuously align her with the british and so like there's a point where she's like i'm irish (laughs) 
I've gone through some of the same stuff as you. I also hate the British. And then it's like two scenes later where he's like, you're Irish. And she's like, yes. Thank God. We're sort of on the same page now. I also think it's it's pretty fun when all of the I mean, it's it's sad how Charlie is is killed, Uncle Charlie, but just how pathetic they are in the wilderness is oh, a fun little a fun little thing too. Just uh, in the in the scene where he is like, you owe your life to a child. Like, like there are again. I, I think that there's like a really dry sense of humor that I understand. If people, I've seen some people say they really don't like the humor in this at all. But this, this humor I'm, is great. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie dies for a joke, like a prank. Like yes. he's just like, you know what? I'm willing to die for this prank. And I <laughs> fucking loved that. You're stuck on a mountain. <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> I yeah, that was that was a beautiful moment. He's like, what are you talking about? It's a great view. You wanted land. Here's your land. I'll be back. And then I I did like the the other aspect of that which is that Sam Claflin's character like understands like okay I want to fucking murder you right now but also I'm stuck on a mountain and you're my only way out and the dumbass next to him is the one that kills him right and he's just like you're you are such a fucking idiot like I understand we're all mad at this guy right but you can't kill him because we're stuck on a fucking mountain. How are we going to get down, dude? I just, I love the hubris of white people showing up in a place where they don't know where they're going. <laughs> and yeah. then just be like, you just need. Bruce like kills him. And then uh, Hawkins is like, well, oh my God, why did you do that? He's like, well, he was making fun of you. It's like, he's the only one who knew which way to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. The greatest prank. The greatest it's- movie prank of all time. It's it's great. I just and I love that one of the last things he says is I'm not your boy. <laughs> like he's just been chilling the entire time. It reminds me of like I don't know how much I'm um, all in the family you've seen, but there's an episode where like Archie like maybe it's like the first episode where black people show up where Archie's like being racist and like his black neighbors are just kind of like sitting there grinning at him thinking kind of like about how stupid he is and i remember watching it in film school and a lot of the white people getting angry it's like well why are they just laughing why aren't they arguing with him and i'm just sitting there just like because it's fucking funny to just let him be stupid (laughs) like there doesn't have to be an argument Anyway, I love st- I love stuff like that. I love when a movie kind of like treats racism in a way that's like not so like I don't know. Not everybody's just like constantly arguing with white people. I personally hate doing it, <laughs> and I and I kind of retired from doing it. I'm also from Georgia, so I had like 20 years of arguing with white people, and I'm 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 done now. I think. Thanks for coming on the podcast. <laughs> Well, luckily, you know, a lot of us liked it, so there's not a lot of argument going on. It's, it's true, except except me. I'm just the black sheep. Um, so, so I, I do think I, I, I'm curious whether I, any of you do think. No, I think I know the answer. I think all of you don't have a problem. I don't know. I just I I, I don't particularly like the scene where they pass the other um, the other 
imprisoned um, black men when and she pretends to have the gun trained on the back of his head. Like, I I don't know. I, I just think that some of the race stuff is not necessarily even given short shrift, but just it's so almost uh, it's so divided at at what is at the forefront for each half almost to me. Um, I do. I I mean, do you guys feel a little bit odd about the point it switches? You think it elegantly does that? uh, Or it stops being about women and starts being about race. Is that what you're talking about? I mean, yeah. Well, here's the thing that you have to realize is that all of that is coming from the same place. Like these, these English people are treating her like shit because she is an Irish woman convict. And a lot of that is like a, a racial component. And, And then you see that they respond to a, an Aboriginal woman Similarly, but with even less regard for her as a human because they don't even share like a language. So to me, it's not like I feel like being misogynist right now. Now I feel like being racist. It is I am the Englishman. I am at the top of the food chain of all bipedal humanoid peoples and I will do as I deem with them. (laughs) So like I don't see a switch because whether Mm. Irish or Aboriginal or, you know, Indian or or anything, the British thought they were better than you and they could do what they wanted. Yeah, I, I also didn't really see it as a switch. I mean, there's like a, there's of course like a hierarchy and, you know, I mean, it's always kind of been that way. And sure. the darker you are, the lower you are on the hierarchy. So it's like Claire, of course, is treated badly, but... You know, I mean, and Billy kind of gets into this, too, where it's like, yeah, sure, you need protecting from the men, but, like, the men aren't even going to talk to me. <laughs> They're just going to kill me. So, like, there's there's that difference in regard. And I do think that... I do think that that moment was actually kind of, like, a humbling moment for Claire. Like, for her to realize that I think that that was a moment where she realized that her, that she and Billy were not in the same boat in a way that I think that she was refusing to accept before. Prior to that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Cause that kind of proves to her that like, no matter what happens, the odds of someone shooting her randomly in the street is not not what's happening you know yeah they're mostly just gonna call her a whore she's not being led around in chains well i think i'm gonna have to rewatch this damn movie (laughs) (laughs) well luckily you know it's it's super funny so it should be an easy rewatch (laughs) yeah it's just a laugh riot uh no like i i i wrote a letterboxd review of this and you know it was at the beginning of my cold so I was I I didn't want to write a lot, but I said like the thing that most people aren't going to be able to see because of the um the terror and the violence and everything is that this movie is actually like an incredible act of cathartic empathy. That like the point of the movie is to give an insight and to feel some sort of understanding. And so it's not like a rape revenge movie where the point is to 
or even a revenge movie. Right. It, the point isn't to to get revenge and to find a way to destroy something that is wrong to you. It's to just come to an understanding of what that is and why it has happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, and no, Jennifer, um, Jennifer's like specifically said during during the Q and A at BAM that you know she wanted to show the history of Australia, and she also made the movie to kind of grapple with you know, what her people did and, you know, be honest about the history in a way that it seems like to her, Australia has really been lagging on. So a lot of it's like partially like a historical document of that time and kind of owning up to it. Like it's, I don't know. I wouldn't even say that it was like out of guilt or it's more like out of somebody has to be honest about this history at some point. And, and I think she also felt like it had taken too long. Cause I think guilt is the kind of emotion that gets you something like green book. Yeah. And this movie, I think sort of like a, maybe like 12 years a slave just does want to be a document that brings a human story through that as a means of like kind of bringing history to life so that you can understand it beyond the lines you get in a history book. Yeah. And beyond the kind of historic films that want you to feel good at the end, which I mean, I did feel good, but I also didn't feel like the movie was like trying to make me feel good. Like in a like driving Miss Daisy kind of way where it's (laughs) just like, isn't it great that we could all be together kind of like no it's not trying to do that it's like this is a more accurate portrayal of history and if we understand the way that we treated each other then we can understand the similarities to how we're treating each other now and you know in a way and i also think that like it's one of the few movies that makes soldiers look like assholes. And I personally appreciate that <laughs> because and again, I like it's... a lot of movies are afraid to make soldiers look like assholes, sure. especially soldiers back then. Like it's it. They're just this group of people, especially in Australia, apparently, because again, the proposition has the same thing where it's like, you've got the officers who are like, Oh God, I can't believe I have to be in Australia. And everyone under them is drunk or incompetent or both. And it's just, it's just staggering. And again, I have to assume that like people in Australia know like, yeah, if your dad was in the army as like a, you know, a draft person, odds are they sucked and they were just bad. Like Peter Lou hates British people, but all British rich people. Again, oh, like now, I said, now you know, I want to watch Peterloo. <laughs> like I said, the the original sin of most of the modern world is that they had the misfortune of being colonized by the British. I, I do. I I am curious too. I, I think you talked a little bit about it, Jordan. But did did Jennifer talk a little bit about her reticence to tackle this story, given uh, her uh, she, being a white woman? <laughs> she did. I, she did say that she went to speak to an Aboriginal elder and. She said that if the elder did not give her permission to make the movie, that she would not make the movie and that she was able to get permission. And part of the reason why the film like really came together the way that it did in terms of language and all of that is because she was working directly within that community. 
Yeah, I, I, the, that language, so, that first scene around the campfire is is really really interesting when they're when he's when she's speaking Gaelic and he's speaking. Oh shoot! It, it, it's an Aboriginal dialect, but I know I, they say. I was what it's I was called. looking on um on IMDb because they have the language thing. Oh, do they? And it says Gaelic, Aboriginal, and English. So I I don't okay. I don't know what to do for that. I know it's probably not just Aboriginal because there's yeah. plot, probably no, many different tribes, but it's like an. Oh it's wait, like an I older... found it. It's it's Palawakani. Paul, okay. I just wanted to be accurate there. <laughs> it is near extinct and marks the first time ever spoken in a mainstream picture. Hmm. This is I, I, according I think to that's, trivia. <laughs> that's one other interesting thing is like, do you, it's still in limited release. I mean, do, do you guys see this becoming like, what do you see as the future of this film? Do you think it's going to become a cult film? No, but do you think it's going to become a cult film? Do you think it's going to have – it might not – I mean it doesn't have a queer meme in it, so it, it's not going to become the Duke. But I do kind of wonder you know, whether 30 years from now, whether this is going to be at rep screenings or, or things like that or that whether it will have legs. will depend on her, her career as a, an artist. I um, I don't know. It's weird because like people were all excited about this movie coming off the Duke. And I just don't know if this is what people are expecting next. Like, like, uh, what's that movie that we just saw about the pagans? Midsummer. Yeah, Midsummer feels like a follow up to Hereditary. You know, like mm. that movie's legitimately Ari Aster going like, "Oh, people liked the weird shit in my first movie. I'm just gonna do all that." And Jennifer Kent seemed to say, "All right, so people liked all the weird shit in my movie. Now I'm going to make a gritty." <laughs> realistic humanist look at a dark period in our national history that I'm almost certain no one wants to stare directly in the face, which is bold and commendable, but I don't know that it's going to reach as many people as the Babadook did. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough because I mean, a lot of people are not going to want to watch it. I think that that's going to be a huge hurdle. I don't know how, the film is going to be is it's going to get people to watch it because i mean of course like i'm writing about it but like i write about stuff that no one will watch like it doesn't matter <laughs> like me writing about it doesn't mean anything uh I, I i i get the feeling that it's one of those films that's not gonna be appreciated by all of the people that it needs to be appreciated by until yeah. much later unfortunately i um I wonder, especially because it's like, it's America, like, you know, we're here. I don't know what the, the reach that this movie is going to have, especially because everyone leads off with, oh, so many walkouts, oh, such violence, like, you've never seen something, like, oh, can you believe a woman directed this film? And, um... But, but we also got a disclaimer, like, uh, like we yeah, all the marketing got an email was kind of weird, just in terms of, like, giving it to the press and, like, having a disclaimer. Yeah. That was kind of strange. I, but, I, I'm um, just... I don't want to talk. I, I'm not trying to say that I disagree with it, but I'm I'm just curious if anybody has any thoughts about that disclaimer. And uh, I don't remember the 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 words that they used. The, <laughs> uh, well, it seems like it's weird because the disclaimer seems to want everyone to be sensitive 
to the sexual assault aspect of the film, but it's also just like, how are they going to be sensitive to it if we don't tell them that it happened? Because I feel like some people will come in and they'll feel like they were tricked because it happens very early on and you think that you're getting one thing and when when you figure out what it actually is, because especially like the tonal differences between the beginning of the movie and once they get out into the wilderness, everything's very pretty in the beginning. It's all lit by candlelight, you know, very like Jane Eyre kind of-esque and then like she but then once she gets outside it all changes and i don't know how people are gonna feel with that shift especially if they're not prepared for it but i do think that it's part of it is that they don't really trust the press and critics to write about rape well which is fair understandable (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it's also just the like I feel like this is a thing where you just got to let people be stupid about it. You got to let people feel around in the dark and figure out how to talk about it. Cause I mean, part of my review is talking about like how so much of the reactions to the film is because people are afraid of talking about rape. People have become numb to murder, (laughs) but rape is like a thing where it's anything that kind of makes a viewer feel like rape is a commonplace thing that could happen to anyone seems to be very scary to them. And I feel like the movie is making that argument. And I think that that's something that a lot of that, like people aren't going to want to accept. It's much easier to pretend like it's some kind of otherworldly thing that happens every once in a while. And then the girls all team up with their knives and they, kill all the men and it's like sure. it happens once a year <laughs> like a weird <laughs> like the purge like I like so i don't know i i feel like they did it mostly out of fear uh well that's and yeah so that's that's what's interesting is that um you know i don't want to put our pr person on blast because they sent us links so that we were able to talk about this yeah but it I, is weird I, that the note that was put with the links seemed to be it's not for people watching in a theater it's specifically for the press so like there seemed to be a concept of we don't want even the critics to shut this off early and then just tell people that it sucks like and i think that's a weird place to be because as a critic i feel like if i put myself in front of something it's my duty to watch it all the way to the end and to think about it critically (laughs) I'm sorry, I have a cold. I can't reach my usual like heights of lexicon. But <laughs> it's it's weird that they would be like, please watch the film in its entirety and read through the press notes so that you know what we're going through and what we want to put across. Because that should be what any critic who's watching this is doing. Like, I don't know if they're worried about bad faith criticism or like overreactionary criticism. And it's it feels strange to be in a position where that's something that someone who's sending out a movie to people who ostensibly want to talk about it in an academic way need to be told of early on. I'm I'm realizing it's very fascinating too that when when I think of you know I in in another addition to my Google search that looks terrible oh I looked up films with 
uh, rape and sexual assault in them because I was just curious. Like it just seems like I've seen so many, but I wasn't able. List. I exactly. This is but this po- week's <laughs> this week's uh, <laughs> installment of Michael Snydell is on a watch list. <laughs> <laughs> but what I wanted to say though is that like. You know, so often sexual assault is like played as a reveal, like late in the third act, like here's why this character acts this way or or, here's why this is justified. And it it makes that disclaimer even more strange to me that like, you know, the first sexual assault of this film is in the first five minutes. Like it's it's not like nestled at the back as a flashback or anything. So it's just Mm -hmm. it's just I I find I, I think you guys are right that like uh, they're rightfully scared of how the press will frame this, but it's still um, I, I think perhaps more than anything just points out how unique this this film is given how often or, or how we usually talk about like rape on screen. Right. And uh, I don't want to come off like some sort of Fox News pundit screaming uh-oh. about millennial snowflakes, <laughs> but it's it, it is kind of weird. Again, this is something they're saying to critics because they're worried that like the first act of violence against a woman or against an Aboriginal or something is going to just make someone immediately turn this off. Well, I mean, I I will say that when I said that the first time that I tweeted that I liked this movie, I had a lot of critics who had already seen it very irritated with me. (laughs) (laughs) really so, huh. yeah i mean and i mean i tend to and i remember a friend of mine said that um somebody tweeted a man tweeted at her and said that the movie was like white feminist nonsense and i was like was the man white and she was like yeah and i was like okay <laughs> it's weird <laughs> um it seems like there is there's been a very knee jerk. I think maybe it has to do with the weird knee jerk reaction that has been to this movie. Because like I was told that it was a rape revenge movie. I was told that it was a slog. I was told to be prepared. And then I saw it in a screening, like, and I was just like, "This is fantastic!" Did anyone watch the same movie that I watched? <laughs> So I, I think I think it is like unfortunately <laughs> I think that the press is so used to having rape be like this like oh no kind of thing that it's like sure. it's almost like they're they're afraid that people aren't going to be able to face it and I think that that has proven to be correct in a lot of ways which is yeah. sad um, but I think that really speaks to the way that the film. I think that it speaks to how well the film actually frames rape. Whereas a lot of times I think that it is framed really, really badly. And the whole third act reveal thing is, is also something that has always kind of grated on me. Cause I mean, yeah. it's like it, the way that it's depicted is like a violent act of, you know, like power of domination. And that's, what it is and i think that a lot of other movies kind of like frame it as something sexual and like Like, it's not that this is gonna come off in completely the wrong way but it doesn't even seem like he's enjoying it no i think that you're absolutely Mm. right well thank god you're here because that's the type (laughs) of thing that i would usually say and then just be like all right now i gotta wait for the tweets (laughs) oh no 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 like it's like 
it kind of reminds me uh, the way I think I described it to someone as like, um, I don't know if you've ever read or watched the color purple, but there's a way that Celie talks about Mr. Like having sex with Mr. And she's just like, yeah, it's just, it's, he doesn't even look at me. It's kind of like he's taking a dump on me. And like, that is what, it looks like it just looks like they're taking a dump like it's it's not it's not so it's not like for fun it's like this weird like release thing and the time yeah and it's like they're not even looking at the at the woman they're looking kind of like out in like past her yeah it's 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 very strange it's um you know it's disconcerting but again it's it's done in that way i think out of a sense of like fealty to reality and like the emotional truth of, of what that is, especially in this situation. And I do yeah. it again. It's, I'll just say it one more time. It is, it is disheartening that the, the press people have to send out a thing, hoping that a critic won't be immediately turned off by that. Because, you know, the reason that we make art is to look at horrifying things and try to find, I won't say meaning, but like something within it to, to grow an understanding, you know, it's, it's art should be kind of an empathy machine and solo next week. Yeah, that's totally what we're going to (laughs) do. And I felt a lot like, uh, like I, I really loved, which is a weird word to use, uh, 12 years a slave. And I had a lot of people who, who said to me like, dude, that just, it's like a, it's just this 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 grinder that you have to go through watching all the terrible things that happened to this man. And I my only response to it was you don't often see a narrative like this about slavery in the United States. You know, mm-hmm. and it's 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 hard to watch, but I feel like it's a necessary I won't say like a necessary act of contrition or something, but like you owe it to people both alive and dead to try to grow an understanding so that when you talk about these things, you could come at it with whatever the closest sense of emotional and empathetic understanding that you're able to. And so something like 12 years a slave, you know, watching that, seeing that, and it has the same kind of thing where you're like, Oh, you know, the guy who's played by Dr. Strange, it seems like a nice man. And then you literally have a woman say a nice man who owns people. Who is a slaver? <laughs> like, don't get caught up in the fact that he gave you a violin and he's not beating you like the others will. Like, this is a man who is complicit in the system and there is no nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really sobering thing that a lot of people don't want to deal with. It's kind of like the people that think that like Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson were like dating, like they were like they were sweethearts. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's weird it's weird and there are movies like that i don't know there's a movie called um jefferson in paris that's like about thomas jefferson played by nick nolte and tandy oh, no. newton is sally hemmings and it's like a romance movie and it's so weird <laughs> so weird yeah did you uh, do that on bad romance that would be that would be great i mean there is a love triangle because his wife is played by gwyneth paltrow and then like sally (laughs) this is amazing um it's from 1995 i wonder if gwyneth paltrow even remembers that she was in it (laughs) directed by james ivory 
Yep. Oh, what? Okay. Adding this to my watch list. (laughs) Yeah. Like this idea that like, it's, it's always funny to me how many white people think that like, uh, when slaves and like when slave women and like white men were together, that it was like some kind of like boundary breaking thing where (laughs) like they were in love and it's like, no, like, Thomas Jefferson owned Sally Hemings. What was yeah. she supposed to do? Like, she could think that he was the ugliest dude on earth. You don't know. <laughs> that is, yeah, there's, that's, uh, that's bad. That wasn't there an Ancestry.com ad that was like that? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> it was like a white guy talking to a slave girl and he was like you have to run away with me like we have to go now yes. and then it cuts to black and it says without you their story ends here and i'm like whoa ancestry.com <laughs> hey now oh, man there had to have been a better time period and couple to choose from Oh yeah, because that's that's a couple. Like, people don't understand power dynamics, but that's a whole other podcast. Anyway, the Nightingale is very much about power dynamics, and I yes. kind of think everyone needs to watch it because people really don't understand how they work, and it's very depressing. Like we should all be adults and understand history, but we don't. Right, <laughs> and like I said, I think one of the first things I said was it's 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 easy to, from where we stand, see her as you know the white woman and him as the black man but it's it's interesting how from every single angle of this society they are either you know almost equally as repugnant or she has power over him or he has power over her like it's that that the level of detail that goes into every interaction is i think what elevates this movie and the fact that it's not spelled out in such obvious terms to the fact to the point that like even though he calls himself uh, Mangana, the Blackbird, and she has previously been called the Nightingale, like they never talk about that. I kept mm-hmm. waiting for the scene where she brings up, oh, I too have been referred to as a bird. And it doesn't happen, <laughs> which I am thankful for. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> that would be their, oh, both of our moms are Martha moment. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was like, I am totally fine with both of these characters referring to themselves as birds or being referred to as birds. But if at any point they're like, we're going to make a flock of our own, (laughs) I'm going to be furious. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Like, I hate the I'm so glad that it didn't end on this idea that like, oh, my God, (coughs) they're mixed race children will save the world because I hate that shit. Yeah. And I say that as a person in an interracial relationship that I hate that shit. (laughs) Like, I just hate (laughs) that shit. It's just disgusting it's weird um a lot to put on a child too i mean it's just like yeah like this kid (laughs) i don't know i just love the idea that beige children are supposed to save the world it's very strange to me (laughs) if this movie teaches us anything it's that humanity will find a reason to hate someone in order to make themselves feel better about themselves yeah i mean you know you manufacture hate, you are able to get power. Yeah. And this movie doesn't offer any solution to that, which I think is good because there is none. I think that maybe watching movies like this and growing to understand that so that you can break the 
the uh, the societal figments that are created to make you feel like you're better than someone so that they can leverage your loyalty into a kind of force for power is a good idea. But I don't think that anything will ever actually be able to like bring any kind of panacea to that problem. It's it's just wow. the opening of the consciousness. That's a very cynical view, but I respect it. I am very sick, so I am just glad that I'm making sense. <laughs> Should we start to uh, close this? I think we can wrap up now that I've basically damned humanity. Um, but I mean, it's it's it it is one of those things that I think about. You know, I have a daughter. And I'm like, what is the thing that I can do to keep her from becoming a bad person? And I think it's just helping her to understand the systems that make people bad or that, that make it a good idea to be bad and to try to come up with some sort of moral or ethical stance to, uh, to fight against that. And unfortunately yeah. that, that involves exposing her to that, that kind of, so, you know, I joked earlier about showing her the Babadook pop-up book, but I'm already like waiting for the first time that she, she says something and then I have to be like, all right, let's just sit down with uh, Howard Zinn and go through this <laughs> and work some shit out. So the Duke at five and the Nightingale at what, 10? Yeah, I think 10 is a good age for the Nightingale. <laughs> She'd be like, wow, dad, things are really bad in Australia. And I'd be like, sit back. It's time for 12 years of slave. Oh my God. This is the weekend where we wake you up. Um. <laughs> So anyway, oh, boy. any final thoughts on uh, this movie or, you know, humanity in general before we wrap up for today? Humanity in general. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Just want to leave the, the avenues open. All right. I think we're done. Um, oh. Socialism is good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Put a red rose that's, on this podcast. Um, that's <laughs> We haven't said Nazis are bad in a while, so you know. Are you kidding me? I feel like Nazis. we do that like every week. Uh, well, I try. I try to make sure it's it's on my checklist to do every single week. <laughs> Should we add that Fuck to Nazis. the opening or the okay. closing? Just be like, "Have a great week." Nazis are bad. <laughs> Punch yeah. in the local Nazi. How many times do I have to say that I'm willing to take up arms against Nazis before people believe me? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> You you also joke that you're gonna murder your friends when they have I've a bad never said I'm hit. going to murder a friend. I've just said I'm gonna just hit them. Pop them in the mouth. Pop them in the mouth. Okay. I'll okay. slap Fair. you across the face for saying that, Bill. A lot of people could benefit from a nice pop in the head. <laughs> there we go. See, I, you get it. You know, I said that earlier on a different podcast and I got yelled at for that. So <laughs> I don't remember that, so it didn't happen. It was definitely about a child. But no, wait, well, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is Bill digging uh, his grave deeper ground. Uh, <laughs> I did not say buying a grown ass adult. Don't okay. don't go crazy. Right, right. Um, so anyway, we're going to wrap up before someone else says something crazy. <laughs> Hope you've enjoyed this. The Nightingale is out in limited release now. Do check it out. Uh, if you've already listened to all the spoilers and everything, hopefully you've already seen it. But uh, otherwise, hopefully, if you were on the fence, we've helped you to come to a decision. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show and give us your money. Don't forget that we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day their glorious curators bring you a brand new film to watch. They've still got their Errol Boris retrospective going on. 
They've got Love Diaz's Season of the Devil still playing as part of their Luminaries series. Michael, have you watched that yet? No, I've been watching a bunch of things on movies, movie lately, though. Movie is good. Yeah, movies. movie does dumb things like programming Polanski, but movie's good. They've also got <sighs> Mia Hansen Love's Goodbye First Love. Have you watched Thank that you. yet? No, yeah. I have not. Maybe a little less time stressing about Polanski and more time watching the movies you claim you're going to watch. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, that is it. for. Oh, wait, no. Uh, movie.com slash film stage. M-U-B-I.com slash film stage for your free 30-day trial. That is it for today. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for sticking with us. Let us tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time. Jordan Searles. Did I do it right again? Yeah, you did. All right. Batting a thousand. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at J-O-U-R-D-A-Y-E-N. <laughs> Sorry. Are, are we not playing Does the Dog Die? Oh, I forgot about that. No, we're not going to play it this time. Okay. All right. <laughs> this is the wrong... You should check out Does the Dog Die. It's a, it's a website that will enrich your life. <laughs> okay. Or yeah. make you sad. I will. I will check it out. Jordan, would you would you like to once again say where you can be found online without Bill exclaiming in, in, in shock <laughs> about the dog? Uh, yeah, you can find me at J O U R D A Y E N on Twitter and on Instagram. My my little avatar is me when I was three years old, so uh, it's just like a, a little kid with gla- with big glasses. So it's right. memorable. <laughs> Uh, Bill Graham, to your point, this movie is on Does the Dog Die, but it seems like only one person has voted. They only voted on five things. So it wouldn't have been that good anyway. All right. Good. All right. All right. So where can we be found, Bill? Where can you be found online? Uh, you can find me on DoesTheDogDie.com. <laughs> um, you can also find me on Twitter at CableBFG. I'm in uh, trying to keep up with uh, our Slack channel, which is still very, very active. All right. Michael Snydell. You can find me on Twitter at at Snydell on Letterboxd. Uh, as far as reviews, I wrote about Peanut Butter Falcon, one of the worst named titles of the year, but actually <laughs> I've a heard pretty it's good. good movie. It's ah, it's pretty yeah. good and it's really clever in how it uh, treats Down syndrome. And I will also be writing about Forty Seven Meters Down, Uncaged. Uh, those oh. are will both be on the spool this week. Peanut Butter Falcon's already up there. Is that a play off the Maltese Falcon? Uh, no. It's a wrestler name. Okay, that's... Okay. Anyway... Wrestler name, yeah. I could be found sweating out this fever in my bed. Uh, my personal site, dearfilm.net. My Twitter handle is at Brian Jerowen. That's my handle for everything. And of course, you can find this uh, episode and all other episodes of the Film Stage Show. Maybe. I am Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> I am going through some stuff, guys. Please be kind to me. Uh, thefilmstage.com for all of your movie writing and uh, podcast listening needs. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next time. You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me.